What's up, y'all? My name is Ryan Shepard, and we are back with episode 12 of the Dear Charlie podcast. I It's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's been about two weeks, a little over two weeks since we last did this. The intro music that you just heard was ASAP Ferg's Dreams, Favorite Tales, and Fantasies featuring Brent Fias. And I, I just really enjoy that song. That's one of my favorites right now. Um, I I just like over the last couple of days, I spent a lot of time digging into ASAP Ferg's discography, and just it's not like I, I've grown up with a, I've grown up with ASAP Ferg. His career has kind of mirrored my um, mat- maturation. I guess that's the word I would use as a young adult, young man. So like I've been around for his entire career, but I guess recently I've just I've I've really I've come to the realization that I really enjoy his B side records or his his slower records as opposed to the records that he's known for like Shaba and other records like that. But that, I didn't come here to talk to you about ASAP Ferg's discography or his catalog. I came back to do a podcast, a podcast that when we originally started, you and I or anybody that's listening, it was in something to escape quarantine and the horrors of the pandemic. And while things are starting to slowly open, I won't be going out outside anytime soon for anything other than the essentials. So, and I advise you if you're in an area or in a position where you can do so and not have to go outside for anything other than the essentials outside of work, obviously food and things of that nature, but just staying inside as much as possible. And I said I was going to do this for 100 days straight and that just, that plan kind of tore itself up. And if you hear hammering, I do apologize. My next door neighbor has decided that they're going to, she's just going to do some home improvement at 1030 in the morning. So I will try to talk as loudly as I can and kind of cover up that noise. But as I was saying, like this, this podcast started as a way so I could do this podcast once a day for hundred days straight, because that's, just, that's what I was assuming how long we're going to be in quarantine and I kind of just wanted to have it as a way so that I could ask my dad the questions I could have asked him when he was alive and use these podcasts as open diary entries and allow you guys to listen in on them. And I hope you listen on them. I encourage you to listen in on them. And it was just kind of something I just dropped every day um, on Twitter. There's a link I wasn't really promoting it, and I'm not promoting it now, but I will start letting more people know about it because once I st- I started talking about it with other people, just like something in casual, just with friends. They were saying like, oh, I would be interested in listening to that. So I'm going to start doing a better job of circulating and being more consistent. So starting on Monday, we're going to, well, I'm going to post this podcast at 8.30 in the morning every morning. And the goal in doing that is just, just to get on a more regular schedule so that you guys can expect each day. And I'm also going to be starting my overnight shift at work, so it'll match up with the times I get off from work. So 8.30 to 9, that's the window that you should expect the podcast to be up every day. Starting on Monday, the next few days, I'm going to try to get it up by 11 a.m. But So I guess we'll get into today's topic. And today's topic has to do with a lot of what's going on in the world right now over the last few weeks weeks, we've started to see what a lot of newscasters and 
law enforcement officials and I shouldn't say law enforcement officials, I guess criminal justice scholars and different people in different communities and just people of color in general said what happened, which is we're starting to see some of the police brutality towards specifically black people um, that has that emerged that occurred during the pandemic um, when everybody was quarantined and everybody was inside and everybody was really worried and people are still inside, not to say that they aren't, not to say that things have necessarily gotten a whole lot better, but now that we've kind of come into our new normal, we started to realize, oh, this did happen just because no one was outside to record it or somebody was outside to like view it in real time. It doesn't mean it didn't happen just because we were all inside didn't mean the police, certain police officers didn't stop killing black people. Uh, so we've seen cases of, I guess, Sean Reed, um, Sean Reed, uh, I don't know, I mispronounced that, Armand Aubrey was killed in South Georgia while he was jogging. Sean Reed was killed in the greater Indianapolis area. Um, his was more recent, I believe. Um, Ahmaud Arbery's occurred in late February, I believe, or early March. Somewhere in that time, he was jogging in South Georgia. He was approached by two. Well, he was approached by men. And he was, then the man got his father um, and they ended up killing him because they believe they tried to argue. They've tried to argue that uh, that he was they thought he was responsible for a string of robberies that occurred. And then a few days after those two men were charged, they released, someone released a video of Mart Aubrey around some kind of construction site trying. And I guess that tactic was used as a way to say that he may have been involved and there's no evidence to support that theory. And more recently, um, we've learned of Brianna Taylor's death. Brianna Taylor was an EMT. She was in her mid twenties, I believe. Uh, police said that they were acting on a search warrant for a, some kind of drug search. And the man that they were looking for didn't actually live at that house. Um, the man that they were looking for was actually arrested earlier that day in the greater Louisville area. And what they did is the police say that they announced themselves more before entering Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, who was in the house at the time, said that I, they never did that. And there's conflicting reports on what was said or what was done. But ultimately what happened is um, Brianna Taylor's boyfriend, I'm forgetting his name. I believe his name's Kenneth Taylor or Kenneth. I believe his name is Kenneth. I, I'm blanking on his name. I apologize. But he thought somebody was breaking into his house because he, he says that the police never announced themselves. And he did what anybody would do if they thought someone was breaking into their house. Tried to see what was going on. He fired off a shot. Um, he ended up hitting an officer. And the police ended up firing back at um, her, Breonna Taylor's boyfriend and Breonna Taylor. I believe it was 22 times. And Breonna Taylor was hit eight times and was killed in her home in the middle of the night. And no police have been um, arrested or charged or anything of that sort, to my knowledge. And I guess I, I, I say all that in connection to another one of my uh, things I've been doing during all of this is I've been catching up on my show, Dead to Me, which is a show on Netflix. And it's about 
um, these two women who meet each other. Um, one is one character is grieving the death of her husband who was killed in a hit and run. And the other one is she has some things going on, emotional trauma she's dealing with, but she's, she is the person who killed the other woman's husband, but she doesn't know that until later on in the series. And it's, it's just a lot about dealing with death and grief and how do you move on and things of that nature. And I guess that all of this plays into this podcast that deals with death and grief and communicating and all of that. And it's got me thinking a lot about just my life and the legacy I want to leave. Because I think as a Black person, you you're aware of your race at a very young age. In a previous episode, I talked about the first time I was called a nigger. And not with an A, but with a hard ER. And I was about seven or eight years old. And that was like the first time like I was really confronted with racism head on. So it's from seven to eight to 24, almost 25 years old. So it's about 17, 18 years that I've, the overwhelming majority of my life, race has been a big factor in my life. And as a black person, you don't like to think about it, but it often comes up. What would happen to me if I were killed by the police? What would happen to me if I'm killed by a random person because they believe I'm not doing the right thing or they believe believe that I'm causing trouble or this or that or the third? And everybody likes to say like, oh, if I'm approached by that, I'm going to fight them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, Ahmaud Arbery did fight back and he was ultimately shot killed. And extending upon that point, a lot of people like to say that they're going to do this, that, and the third until they're in a situation. And in, in theory, yes, we want to say we're going to do all that, those things. But sometimes we, we don't know when we're going to be confronted with these situations. We don't know how we're going to react. Because for a lot of us, it's about survival. And when I say us, I'm talking about the greater Black community as, in general. It's about survival. It's about getting home. So if you believe in that instance that it's better to just walk away so that you can get home to your family, or you believe that you're going to have to fight your way out of the situation, it's not necessarily like, if this happens, I'm automatically going to run. I'm automatically going to fight. I'm automatically going to do this. And yes, there are people that I firmly believe that if they're confronted with certain situations, that they're going to fight back. Like There are certain people, I just know that in their nature. But for other people, I'm just like, it doesn't make you soft or less of to say that I don't know how to react in a certain situation when a gun's pointed in your face. And I, I think people think people think they know how they're going to react when a gun's pointed in their face, and they, they honestly know. They honestly do not know how they're going to react in those situations. Something that I, I recently saw that caught my attention was an episode of State of the Culture, which is a show on Revolt TV. And it, if you want to, you can go and watch it on YouTube. And there's an episode where they talk about the Armand Aubrey case. And one of the hosts or panelists on the show is a, is a guy. He's a journalist. He's a podcaster. He does a lot of different things. His name is Brandon Jenkins, Jenkins, better known as Jinx. He's appeared on Complex, Revolt TV, um, the Genius Podcast on Spotify, just a lot of different um, or not say genius mogul podcast on Spotify, 
but he just does a lot of different things, wears a lot of different hats. And he was talking about when he when they brought up this topic, he was talking about like how he's imagined what it would be like if he were killed by the police or he was killed by a, a, a person who a person who was racist and a person who was attacking him. And the way that he laid it out is almost I didn't even bat an eye at it until I watched it the second time. I was like, this is not normal. Like we we say that these things are just coming with a part of being black in America, but it's or just black in general anywhere across the world. But it's it's not normal. And sometimes I think we forget that we we don't necessarily normalize these things, but we just come to know that this is a part of being black in the world. That if you're killed by the police, you'll be a hashtag for a couple of days. If you're lucky, a couple of months. And if you're really lucky, a couple of years. They'll say nice things about you. Celebrities will come out and post about your death and talk about how wrong it is. Maybe a law or two will get changed in your local jurisdiction. Your family will mourn and things will, the world will keep spinning. Even though you didn't deserve to die. Even though you were just living your life like anybody else was at that point in time. And it's it's not something I want to think about, but it's like, I for me, like the first time I thought about death was my dad dying. And my dad died of natural causes. Uh, he had high blood pressure, a lot of different things um, that are not uncommon in just the black community or just America in general. He died of a heart attack. And that was the first time I kind of thought about death, but it was in more of a natural way. Like these things are going to, this is a part of life. This is, this is the, you're going to, you're going to be born, you're going to pay taxes and you're going to die. Those are three things that are always guaranteed, guaranteed, regardless of when, when period you lived in, whether you could have lived in ancient Egypt, taxes, taxes was still a thing. Taxes were still a thing and you were going to be born and you're going to die. Those things have remained constant in society. But not to get too off track, but it, it that was the first time I thought about death, but it was a more of a natural way. I think the first time I thought about death in in unnatural ways, probably the genus six. And if you're unfamiliar with genus six, it, it's a case that took place, I believe, in Louisiana. And I want to say... I should say Genesis, Genesis, I'm sorry. Case that took place in Louisiana uh, at Jenna High School. And I believe I was 10 or 11, so it was probably 2006. And it involved six black students who were charged with a whole bunch of crimes, including aggravated, I think, aggravated assault conspiracy to commit battery, simple battery, just all these different types of charges, like a, a, a degree, like an attempted murder charge for, it was just, I, I believe they were attacked. I believe they were, they were accused of beating a white student at the high school that they attended. And I don't believe that the, um, I don't believe that the kid died. I don't believe that. I, I, I'd have to go back and look at it. But they were arrested because they were accused of being the people that beat up this kid. And there was no real 
evidence to support that. And in connection to that, nooses were hang, hung up around the neighbor, like different neighborhoods. And it, it was just this whole different thing. And as a kid, I was just thinking, are they going to kill these kids? Like these kids were not, and I say, I say it now, it's, I say now they were kids, but back then they seemed older. But I think one at the time was 14 and me being like 10 or 11 at the time, like that's two or three years older than me. Like I know 14 year old kids. So it's just like, are they going to kill these kids? And that's when I started to think about the idea of what would happen to me if I were to pass away? Then it's like, pass away would be murdered. Like what, what would my legacy be? How would my family remember me? Like how, how would I live? Like, how do I live with this? Because I think to be black and to be in American society is to constantly get up every day and decide whether you want to survive or you want to live. And I think those those are two different things. Where do you want to walk around and just do everything that you can do to get by? And it goes back to what I was saying before about how people don't know how they're going to react. Are you going to do just enough to get by so that you can get home? Or are you going to go out and just live fearlessly and do everything that you need, that you want to do? And, and sometimes that comes with a cost. Sometimes that comes with putting yourself in really uncomfortable situations. And I think in periods of my life, I, I've gone about my life wanting to survive in other parts going about my day where I want to live. And it's hard to have that balance, like in past episodes, I've talked about incidents at American University. And in those instances, I chose to live. I chose that I was going to fight, claw, do whatever I had to do to be around, to be seen, to be, to not have to live in fear. And I, I I go, I think back to an incident. I was walking home. It was my junior year of high school, and there was an incident um, involving a fraternity. Well, I shouldn't even say a fraternity because they've been kicked off campus, or at least they were kicked off campus when I was there. And I remember I was walking home because I would walk by anybody that's been to American University or attended or been, been around the area. There's a soccer field across the street that's near the, I guess, on the side of the art museum, the Katzen Art Museum. And I that's where I would start my walk home. And it was around eight or nine o'clock. So it wasn't too late, but the sun had gone down. And I remember it being dark over there and you the street lights and everything. It's a really nice neighborhood. But I remember I was walking home and earlier that day, to just give a bit of a backstory, there was like a town hall and I said I equated this fraternity or lack or whatever you want to call it to a gang. I just basically call it a gang. Basically what they do, the things that they were accused of are the things that we associate with gangs. But if a gang was on campus, we wouldn't just like sit around and act like nothing happened. Now that, that was the point I was trying to make. I guess this got around to school administrators, which I won't even get into that portion of it. But I had got around to people that were a part of the said fraternity. And I remember them driving. I was walking home and I was going in one direction. They were there were there was a group of them that were part of this fraternity and they were driving another direction. They were I, I think it was like a Toyota or some just some like regular car. And they like they hopped up like it was a gang. Like they was about to pull up. Like I remember them like pulling up beside me, someone trying to talk to me. 
And I was just like, at that point in time, I was like, it's going to be what it's going to be. Like, it's, it's going to be, be. And if you know me, that's not my disposition, typically. I'm not a fighter in that sense. But at a certain point, I was just like, I'm tired of running. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of being scared of death. I'm tired of, in my mind, picking out what my obituary is going to sound like or picturing what my funeral program is going to look like because someone who didn't like what I was saying or was mad at me for standing up in the face of that fraternity had been accused of engaging in some racist activities. And I was just like, this is not right. This is not okay. But I was, I was so tired of being scared. I was so tired of surviving that I just wanted to live. And in that moment, I was ready to fight. It was going to be what's going to be. Like everybody, like I shouldn't say everybody knows me. Certain people that know me know that like through much of college because I I walked everywhere, um, which is not a good thing. I kind of cut that out now that I have a job and I can pay for Uber and transportation of that things of that nature. I, I carried a pocket knife. So I was like, I had my hand on the blade. And I was just like, this is going to be what it's going to be like right here and right there. Luckily, nothing happened. Um, luckily, like somebody in the car, I just remember just like, this is not like, what are we going to do? Are we going to fight them like two blocks from campus? Like, this is stupid. So they eventually pulled off. Uh, but I, I'll never, I'll never forget that. Cause I, that was a key moment in my life. I was like, I'm tired of being scared. I think I was 20 at the time. I think it's like October-ish. So it was like a month before my 21st birthday, I believe. And I think that was the point where I was just like, I'm tired. And that point's leading up to my life. Because I don't, my mom is somebody that uh, I think de- deals with this very well. Of, because I think just growing up in a different era and having a different perspective on these things, she's someone that's always going to live. But I think... Also, her being my mother, she wants me to survive. She wants me to be able to come home. So I think she's always just taught me just like this, there's a balance and there's, there's knowing the limits and knowing what's worth it and what isn't. So I say all that to say, like, I, I really want to ask my dad, what was the first time? Like, he was scared he was not going to make it home because he was black. Or because he stood up for other black people. And what was that experience like? And I would also, I think this is another thing. Um, my grandmother passed away uh, when I was 14. I was in high school. And I, one of the things I never truly got to dig into her life about or ask her about was like she grew up in the Jim Crow era in Savannah, Georgia. And as a kid, I didn't think too much about that or the historical significance of it. But as I got older and I grew, graduated a degree in American studies, which is just basically equivalent to a degree in American history, uh, I would love to have asked her questions about it. I don't know if she, whether she would have been comfortable in answering those questions, because I'm sure those are sensitive topics. But... I would have loved to be able to ask those questions of my grandmother, uh, my dad, and just get those kind of ideas and get those stories. Because I think while things have changed and obviously black people have more rights than they did when my grandmother was a teenager and was a young adult, 
a lot hasn't changed. And that's that's the part that we're still trying to grapple with. So I hope this episode wasn't too, too heavy. <laughs> it probably was. But uh, hopefully the music gives you a smoother vibe. I tried to offset the top heavy topic with smoother music. Uh, so I'll let you listen to the sounds of ASAP Ferg and Brent Fires. Until tomorrow, this is episode 12 of the Dear Charlie podcast. Have a great day, y'all.